Morning, church. If you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. We're going to be going through that entire chapter this morning. And uh, before again, I just want to say how good it is to see you all today. Um, as I look out, I'm, I'm grateful for several things. Uh, I'm grateful uh, to be able to worship with you guys in person. Uh, luckily, last week, Facebook Live did work fairly well. I mean, it cut out a few times, but other than that, I was able to be with you guys in the service through most of the time. So I'm grateful for that technology, but there's nothing like worshiping with the church in person. And so I'm really thankful uh, that we can be back here today. I'm also grateful for Brandon, who stepped in uh, somewhat last minute. He got a text on Monday afternoon, Monday evening, something like that. And I asked him if he could step in. And he's got, you know, a job, a family. Uh, he's, he's in school. He goes to seminary right now. And so he's got a lot on his plate. So for him to be able to step into that as well as he did and uh, to come in here and be have that servant heart, I'm really grateful for, for Brandon. And I'm also grateful that for uh, Kelly, um, that her bout with COVID was short and easy. And I know that there are many people that do not have uh, that in when they experience COVID. And so there's so many blessings that I'm grateful for. My heart just overflows today. And so before we jump in, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer. I want to thank him for all the blessings that he's given all of us and myself. Uh, so let's uh, bow together and we'll pray with me, okay? Father, we come before you this morning, uh, a, a mixed group of people that have been brought together by the wonderful grace of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I, I'm so thankful for all that you give us, so much that we take for granted and where there's so much that we see and, and the blessings that we do appreciate and thank you for and so much more that we can't even uh, number, but I am grateful that you have given us common grace like internet and technology so that when we can't be here, we can watch online and grateful for Brandon and his willingness to serve you and this church uh, at a moment's notice. And Lord, I'm grateful that Kelly had a short bout with COVID and that we were able to get back here quickly. Uh, and so Lord, I pray that as I open your word, as we study it, we would have a mindfulness of all that you do for us and that we would be have a, a heart of gratitude and a desire to serve you out of that gratitude so as we open up in acts today lord i pray your spirit would be over us that he would open our eyes open our hearts open our ears and inspire us to serve the way that paul and barnabas served on this missionary journey lord i ask all these things in your son's precious name amen So as I mentioned, we're continuing on in the book of Acts, and uh, this, uh, this week we're wrapping up the first missionary journey of uh, Barnabas and Paul. We started that journey last, well, two weeks ago, uh, back in chapter 13, uh, and at the beginning of that chapter we saw that the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Paul to begin this endeavor from the church in Antioch. So that's over here on this map. 
It's the right-hand corner, that first dot where everything's kind of stemming out and coming back to. That's where they were called out of by the Holy Spirit. And then from Antioch, they traveled with John Mark to Seleucia, which is right here on the eastern side of the, the Mediterranean Sea. And from there, uh, they sailed uh, to uh, Salamis. And from there, they proclaimed the word in the Jewish synagogue there. First thing they did when they got there, they went into the Jewish synagogue and they proclaimed the word. And then moving on from there, they made their way across the whole island until they came to Paphos down here in this bottom corner over here on Cyprus. And they ran into a sorcerer, uh, a false prophet uh, who was a Jew uh, named Bar-Jesus. And he was with the proconsul, who was the governor of that city and a man named um, or that state and a man named uh, Sergius Paulus and when that interaction was over you end up having Bar Jesus completely blinded by the Holy Spirit uh, because he was opposing all that God was doing at that time and then you see that Sergius Paulus came to faith he heard what Paul and Barnabas were preaching and he saw Bar Jesus blinded and because of that, he put his faith in the gospel. After leaving there, they sail to Perga, which is this little, I don't know, like brownish area over here. Uh, they sail to Perga in um, Pamphylia. Uh, but for some reason, at this point, John Mark abandons the mission. He decides for some reason that he's had enough of this and he heads home to Jerusalem. And from Perga, they traveled uh, to Pis Let's see, how do we say this? Pisidian Antioch. And there, uh, they did much as the same as they did in their earlier travels. They entered the Jewish synagogue on the Sabbath, and there Paul's invited to speak, and so he gives a sermon that traced some of the history of the people of Israel that ended with the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah, and that is proven by his re resurrection. And after this, the people urged him to speak on this again the next Sabbath. So they liked, apparently liked what he had to say. They asked him to come back, and so they did. But the Jews there, they were jealous because of the size of the crowd that Paul was drawing in, who was listening to his teaching, and so they begin to insult him. And Paul and Barnabas then tell these people that it was necessary for the word to be spoken to them first, that they as God's people, were the, the first ones that were going to be able to hear this message. But since they're so intent on rejecting the gospel, they're wiping their hands of the Jews and they're taking this journey on to the Gentiles. And you see in that that the Gentiles rejoiced. They were grateful to hear about all that God was doing and many of them came to faith. But the Jews stirred up persecution and they drove Paul and Barnabas out of the district. They would not hear it, and so they drove them out. And after this, Paul and Barnabas leave there, and they travel to Iconium, which is up here kind of in the middle of this green area. And this is where we're picking up in Luke's narrative in chapter 14 this morning. And so I'm going to start with Acts 14, verses 1 to 7. So read along with me as I read that. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. 
So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Laconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There, they pre continued to preach the gospel. So in these verses, we see Paul and Barnabas start off in much the same way as they have throughout the rest of their trip. They go into the Jewish synagogue and they teach the message of the gospel, even though they stated before that they were now going to the Gentiles. They were going to try to move away to people who seemed to be more interested in the gospel. And when we see this, they just can't help but try to go to the Jewish people and win them to Christ. They just can't help it. If you read in Paul's writings throughout the rest of the New Testament, you can see that Paul has a deep and abiding love for his people. He wants them to come to faith in Christ. And it pains him greatly that they're not willing to see the truth about Jesus. He desires this so much. He says something that I have never understood. He says it in Romans 9 verses 1 to 5. Listen to this. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Listen here. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. Their ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Christ, who is God over all, praised forever. Amen. I mean, did you hear that? Right, Paul says he wishes that he were cursed and cut off from Christ if only Israel would come to faith. I have... Never understood that. I, do, I still don't understand it. Like, I don't understand that. I, how can you feel that way? For the, as long as I can remember, I have been confused by this statement because there is nothing in this life that I want more than to see Jesus face to face. Nothing. Right? Look, I love you guys dearly. And I want you to be believers in Christ. But I want to see Jesus more. All right? I love my family. I want to see them come to faith in Jesus, right? Kelly, kids, all of them, like I want them in with me in heaven with Jesus all together. But I love Jesus more, right? I love my lost friends, my lost neighbors. I love them dearly, but I love Jesus more. So I can't understand how, if God is to be our greatest desire, how could someone who has faith wish that they didn't have faith so that other people they love could come to faith? I've never understood it. But Paul says that he is willing to suffer eternity without God if only his people would believe. And he longs for that so much that even though he stated he's going off to preach the message to the Gentiles from here on out, here he is again in the synagogue. First place he goes when he gets there in Iconium is the synagogue. And as you can imagine, this attempt goes about as well as all the others. 
Right? There are some who come to faith. Right? It says a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. And yet again, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. And he said, Luke says that he, they poisoned their mind against Paul and Barnabas. So they're out there speaking all this negative stuff against them, and it poisons their mind. And so many of them turn away from the message of the gospel because of what the unbelieving Jews are doing there. But what is amazing is that in verse 3, if you look there, this only causes Paul and Barnabas to settle into their mission there. Right? After the Gentiles' minds are poisoned against them, it says they stayed there for a long time and they spoke boldly. This opposition that they experienced, they rooted in. They're like, all right, we can handle that. Let's go. Let's see if your opposition can stand up to the truth of God's word. And so they settle in and they speak boldly for the Lord. And I mean, at this point in their ministry, with all that we've seen since Paul started teaching in Acts 9, how do you think this is going to go? Right? It never ends well, does it? Verse 3 says that God testifies to the message that they were proclaiming by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Once again, putting that exclamation point on the message of the gospel. And the people of the city are divided. Some believed and some didn't. But the ones who didn't believe made an attempt to stone the disciples. Surprise, surprise, right? Like this is... The standard M.O. of the Jews, they stir up strife, they begin insulting, and when that doesn't work, when they don't stop, when they're not afraid, they pick up rocks. Right? We'll get you to stop one way or another. And when the apostles found out about it, they fled uh, to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derby, and also to the surrounding countryside where they continued to preach the gospel. And there are a couple of things before we move on into the rest of the chapter that I want to point out, I want us to consider and apply from these verses before we move on to verses 8 to 19. If we are constantly faithful to proclaim the gospel, people will come to faith. If we are consistent in our proclamation of the gospel, people will come to faith. Now, we may strike out more than we succeed. I mean, we're likely to strike out more than we succeed because Jesus has already said in chapter 7 of the book of Matthew that the gate into God's kingdom is narrow. The path is narrow and the way is difficult and many, most people aren't going to go down that path. But if we constantly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are far from God, some will believe. Right? Some will believe. Paul when he preaches to the Athenians in Acts 17, when we get there in a few weeks, he's going to tell them that God has determined where people live and when people live so that they might seek God. And God has placed us where we live, when we live, so that we might be the ones to share the gospel with those who might find God if they would just seek Him. So we have been providentially placed where we are, when we are, so that we might proclaim the gospel. And so those who will believe will hear it and respond. And that is our role as believers in Christ. We all have that commission. All right? Some of us have the gift of evangelism. Right? We see that through the spiritual gifts in the Corinthians. But 
That doesn't mean that if we don't necessarily have that gift, that we are let off the hook for proclaiming Christ. We all have that commission from Christ. In spite of all of Paul's experiences with the Jews in the synagogue, he still boldly goes into those difficult places in order to share that Jesus is the Messiah that they've all been waiting on. Right? Even in the face of opposition, he goes in confidently and boldly and proclaims faith. And as such, the Holy Spirit consistently has led many people to salvation. So we must also boldly enter into these gospel conversations. And then we allow the Holy Spirit to convict the hearts of those who will believe. Right? The, the results are the Holy Spirit's work. That's not on me. That's not on you. What's on us is the mission. We have to do it. Right? The Great Commission is our marching orders. We've been called to do it. And so we let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit's going to do, but we are faithful to proclaim the gospel. And when we are, many people will come to faith. The second thing that I want you to consider from these verses is the prudence that Paul and Barnabas showed as they fled from the impending death that was coming for them in Iconium. All right, when, when they found out that people were coming to kill them with rocks, they left. All right? If we're faithful to proclaim the gospel, we're going to experience persecution. I mean, that's, that's a given. Jesus says in the gospels that this is guaranteed for his disciples if they're faithful in sharing the gospel. And we've already witnessed much persecution uh, already in the book of Acts. In fact, the more successful the church is at winning people over to Christ, the more persecution that she experiences. All right, we've seen the Jews always start out by trying to discredit the message, discredit those sharing the message about the good news of Jesus. It's, it, we, we saw this all the way back at the time of Jesus. Right? He's spreading this message about the gospel, about himself, about who he is. And the Jews try to discredit that. And then as his disciples go out after his death and resurrection and proclaim that same message into the world, they attempt to discredit them. And every single time when that effort to discredit them doesn't work, it always moves from harsh words to attempts to kill the messenger. Right? They thought they succeeded in Jesus and that didn't pan out. Right? But they keep going back to the same thing. Well, we'll just keep killing all of these people and we'll see if any of them come back to life like Jesus did. Right? And when this happens, when they make these efforts, sometimes the disciple of Christ or the apostle is martyred for their faith. Right? We saw this with Stephen back in Acts chapter 7. We saw it with James in Acts 12. Right? Sometimes this is what the disciple of Christ is called to do. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Right? So there are times when God calls people to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. But there are also times when this can be avoided, and in those moments it should be avoided. Right? If a disciple can avoid martyrdom without denying their faith in Christ, of course, 
But if they can avoid martyrdom, it means that they get to live to preach another day. Right? So this is what Paul and Barnabas do in Iconium. They learned that there was a group coming to kill them and they got out of there. And if you read the Bible, you're going to find that there's no hard and fast rule about whether they should stay or whether they should go. Right? There's no scripture that says that we are to lay down our lives for the when we are to lay down our lives for the gospel and when we are to flee. So if we're ever faced with a moment like this, then we must rely on wisdom from the Lord to know that we're to do in that moment. I mean, as we speak right now in Afghanistan, there are believers in Christ who will die for their faith in Christ because they cannot avoid being martyred by the Taliban. But there are some who are able to get out of the country. And we should be grateful that they're able to get out of the country. And those people are no less faithful to the cause of Christ than those who have to give up their life. All right, Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 20, 21, for him to live, or, or sorry, for him to live as Christ and die as gain. Right? To continue living means there's more work to be done for the kingdom of God. And if he should die in service to Christ, then he will be with Christ, and that's much better. So if we ever end up in a situation like this, we rely on God for the wisdom to know what to do. And the book of James promises us that if we approach God in faith for this wisdom, he will provide it for us. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 7, James says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Right? So we should rejoice when we're being persecuted, when we experience difficult times, because James tells us that that is producing endurance in us. It is making us stronger in the faith. But when we face these trials and we don't know what to do, we should go in faith to God and He will give us the wisdom to understand how we are to act. In verse 6, Paul and Barnabas had the wisdom to flee their impending death and they make their way to Lystra and Derby and the surrounding countryside. And when they arrived, they continued to preach the gospel. I am amazed at the perseverance of these men. How much could you take before you quit? How many threats to your life would you experience before you quit? These men, all of their travels have been fraught with danger from the beginning. And they never shy away from preaching the truth about Jesus. Every step of the way, their eyes are focused on the cross, they're focused on the gospel, and they proclaim that message no matter what they experience. No matter how easy or how hard it is, they continually preach the message of Christ. And sometimes that effort leads to some unforeseen consequences. We're going to see those in verses 8 through 19. So follow along with me as I read that. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet and never walked. 
and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and he began to walk around. And the crowds saw what Paul had done. They shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you and we're proclaiming good news to you that you would turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. And even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up, and went into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. So, after fleeing from Iconium, they make their way to Lystra. Lystra was a small town, small outpost town for the Roman Empire. Not much going on there. Um, there doesn't seem to be a Jewish presence here at all because Luke doesn't mention that the missionaries make their way into any synagogue. So this is primarily, probably a, a completely Gentile town um, but the absence of the Jews doesn't really make the effort much less difficult right according uh, to my studies it said that the people of Lystra were mostly uneducated right they were extremely superstitious and uh, they could be very barbaric uh, when they wanted to be which we saw evidence of that right uh, they're also a polytheistic society this means that they worship multiple gods. And if you know anything about Roman mythology, you've got Zeus and Hermes and Hera and all these people. That's the, that's the group of people that they would have worshipped. Right? And so this scenario right here is different than anything that Paul and Barnabas has encountered so far. And so they have to change up their tactics to engage the people in that place. Right? It's not like going into the synagogue. and they, They're used to this, all the the hardship and trouble that that brings with it, they're used to that. They kind of know how to handle that. They know what to look for uh, when those things come up. But we see that even though that their methods change, the message doesn't, right? And that's something that we need to take into consideration, right? The message always stays the same, but our methodology is free to change as long as we're not sinning in the process. We can do whatever we want to get the message of the gospel out there. But the message of the gospel remains the same for always and forever. All right, so there is still a miraculous healing of a man who had been lame from birth, but he had faith to believe, and because of that, his faith healed him through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when people see this miracle, they immediately jump to the conclusion that Paul and Barnabas are gods in human form, and they begin to worship them. Right? That never would have happened with the Jews. Right? When 
The Jews saw stuff like this. They jumped to the conclusion that it was the work of demons because they had zero desire to acknowledge the fact that God was putting his exclamation point on their message. Right? So no, that's you're casting out demons. You're doing all these healings in the power of the devil. And remember, Jesus said that doesn't make any sense. Right? A house divided can't stand. Why would the devil do that to himself? Right? But that's not what happens here when the Lyconians see it. They assume that Barnabas is Zeus and that Paul is Hermes and they bring out bulls and wreaths in order to offer sacrifice to them. And when it occurs, uh, see, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't understand what's going on, right? They didn't understand the language. And so they're talking about all this stuff and, you know, I just kind of imagine them sitting there with kind of a blank, like, what are you guys talking about? Right? And all of a sudden... They see what's happening. Why are you bringing these bulls out? What are these reeds for? Right? And so they understand they're trying to sacrifice, they're trying to worship us. And so they tear their robes, which is a sign of mourning or grief in the Jewish culture. Right? And then they are so devastated that this has been so badly misconstrued that they rush into the crowd in order to stop what's happening. Right? In verse 15, we see an effort at a sermon being preached. Right? It starts off. Well, we can assume that it was Paul, right? Because he's the mouthpiece of this operation. That's why they called him Hermes, all right? So we can assume that Paul is the one talking, and he declares to them that, hey, guys, we're men just like you. Like, you don't need to worship us. Please don't worship us. And he told them that they're trying to tell them that there is one true God that, so that they'll stop worshiping this worthless nonsense, Right? Don't worship us as Zeus and Hermes. Those people don't even exist. And if they did exist, they're not gods. And in this, notice how Paul approaches them. It's entirely different than the methodology that he uses in the synagogues. Right? The people of Lystra, they have no knowledge of the Scripture. Even if they knew about it, they probably couldn't read it anyway. And so, back when he's speaking to the Jews, he always goes back to the Scriptures. He's like, hey guys, I'm going to take this back to the Old Testament. And they go, what's an Old Testament? Right? They wouldn't have any idea, any understanding of what that is. And so instead of going back to the Scriptures, he begins by telling them there is one God who created everything. The heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. He starts there because in most polytheistic religions, everything has its own God. Right? There's a God of the trees, a God of the grass, a God of the stone, a God of the sky, a God of the river, a God of the lake. Right? Everything has its own God. And so Paul says, no, there aren't all these other gods. There is one God who created everything, and he is sovereignly in control of it all. Only one God. And Paul continues by saying that you can see God's witness to himself by all the good things that he's given you. He talks about rain from heaven, a fruitful season, food to eat, and the joy of life that comes from God's common grace on people. Right? God shows his love to all of humanity by giving us things that are nice. Right? Things that we don't have to have. Right? Common grace is the technology that I could use last week to be with you in worship. Right? I couldn't be here physically, but the common grace of technology... We, God has given us that. He's given that to all of us so that we can use that however we see fit, right? 
Common grace is the, the wonderful taste of food or the, the way it feels when we see a good heartwarming movie, right? All of those feelings, all of that good stuff comes from the Lord. And he gives it to us all, medical technology. All of that is God's common grace that he gives to all people across all time, right? But then all of a sudden, after he says this, the message stops. Did you notice that? The message stops. Why? Like, it's not like Paul to only get this far when he's talking about God. Right? So what happened? Well, there are two options. Number one, the first option is that Luke didn't record the rest of the message, which this is highly unlikely. Right? I seriously doubt that he would just say, eh, that's all they need. Right? I mean, I get that we don't get every single word from every single sermon. I, you know, I believe that we're getting a synopsis of everything that was said. Um, but when it comes to Paul, those messages don't stop until he gets to Jesus. Right? So it's, not, it's unlikely that that was it, that that was the synopsis. That was everything that he had to say. And so the second option, which is, is more likely, and it's simply they didn't let him finish. Right? He get, gets on a roll. He gets his, you know... Pauline chest puffed out and he's getting ready to spew all this gospel goodness all over them and they're dead set on worshiping him. They're dead set on worshiping him and Barnabas that whatever they said, the words don't matter. Like I'm not hearing you. I'm in like religious zeal at this point. I'm ready to worship. And in Luke 18 it says they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. It's all they could do to stop them from offering up these sacrifices. And then after that, things turn ugly, as it always does, right? In verse 19, it says that the Jews arrive from Antioch and Iconium, and they again work to poison the crowds against what Paul and Barnabas are trying to preach. And when this happens, the crowd stones Paul, right? They hit him with rocks to the point where they thought he was dead, and after they were done, they drug him out of the city. Man, things just never go easy for him. Right? It's just never easy for Paul. Right? It's evident in this first missionary journey that God meant what he said in Acts 9 when he said, I'm going to show him all the things that he will suffer for my name. Paul has it rough. But look at the toughness of Paul. Right? In verse 20, it says that the disciples gathered around him and Paul gets up and he goes back in the town. Now, you can call me a pansy if you like, okay? You're welcome to, but I'm not going back into the city that just tried to kill me with rocks. I'm not going, right? There are going to be some dust shaking off my shoes in that general direction, and I'm going the other way, right? Paul gets up and goes back in. It does say that the next day he leaves with Barnabas for Derby. But if it were me, I'm taking the red eye out of that place. Now, I'm not staying overnight. Right? Barnabas, we're leaving now. Right now. But what about your things? I shall get new things. Let's go. All right? I'm not going back into Lystra. They tried to kill me with rocks. From here, the rest of the narrative just continues to show the perseverance of Paul and Barnabas. Even after being run out of one town and avoiding being killed 
twice on this trip, once from hearing that the persecution is coming, once by enduring it and surviving it, right? These men continue on their mission to reach the Gentiles. Luke, Luke wraps up this missionary journey in verses 21 to 28. There he says, After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Poseidon, they came to Pamphylia, and after that they had spoken the word in Perga and went down to Attilia. From there they sailed back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now commit, completed. After they got, arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable amount of time with the disciples. So, after being nearly stoned to death, Paul begins a trek of 60 miles from there in Lystra to Derby. the next day. The next day. That man was a beast. This is unreal. All right? When he got there, Luke says that they preached the gospel and made many disciples in that town. Right? So not, not even being stoned nearly to death can keep Paul from sharing the gospel. Everywhere he goes, he's met with hardship, persecution, possible death, and he never shies away from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Never. Anyone else here feeling just a little pitiful? Just a little? Right? Maybe just a little like very few American Christians would, should ever use the word persecution again. I mean, not in the, not in the way that we experience it. This is persecution. This is what it looks like to be persecuted for the gospel. Not being called names on Facebook. Not being said mean tweets about. Right? That's not persecution. I mean, even if we lose our job because of our faith in Christ, like, I mean, it is persecution, but you want to hold your resume up to Paul? You want to hold your resume up to what people in Afghanistan are experiencing? Persecution is different for these people. And Paul never backed down. Never backed down. Got up, dusted himself off, walked back into a city that just tried to stone him to death. Like, I want to be like Paul when I grow up. Right? Paul is something else. And after making many disciples in Derby, Paul and Barnabas begin the trip back to Antioch. And look at the direction they go. Is that map still up? Look at the direction they go in verse 21. So they go back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Antioch. Um, and they don't have to go this way. So I don't know if you can read it or not, but see this big purple bit right here? So that's Cilicia. That dot right there in the middle, that's Tarsus. That's where Paul's from. That's his hometown where nobody has ever tried to hit him with stones. Right? At least not yet. So there looks to be a little mountain range there, but Derby, where they got the last place on the trip, is right across that little mountain range. It may be impassable, but I'm going to try the impassable before I go back into the city that just tried to kill me. But yet, what does Paul do? He goes back into 
Lystra. All right? He goes back into Iconium. They start to go back through all the towns that they had made disciples in, all the towns that they had experienced persecution in, and they made it a point to uh, strengthen the disciples before they went home. Right? They chose to strengthen the church in each of those places by appointing elders so that the church could flourish under the leadership of the elders. And only then did they make their way back to Antioch. Right? When they arrived there, after completing the work of this first missionary journey, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And all of us should be saying, thank you, Lord, for opening the door to Gentiles. We are here today because God opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles. Right? We are beneficiaries of this mission trip. So, I mean, this has been an amazing and perilous journey that these men went on in the name of Christ for the sake of expanding the kingdom of God. So, what do we do based on what we see here in Acts 13 and 14? All right, what do we need to walk away from this with? Well, number one, we have got to grow in our love for the gospel and our love for the lost. We have got to grow in our love for the gospel and our love for the lost. This is what is driving Paul and Barnabas. Right? They have experienced something in Christ and it has, they have fallen in love with it. They never got over it. It's something that drives them into dangerous situation after dangerous situation. It helps them to endure time and time again and makes them realize that there are more people who need to hear this message. The message is that good and they are that lost. They need it. They need it more than I need to live. They need it more than I need to be comfortable they need it more than I need my preferences. They need the gospel. They love the gospel. And they love the lost. It has to, be, it has to become so meaningful to us. Our love for the gospel, our love for the lost, that we are willing to endure whatever may come our way so that we can see people come to faith in Jesus. What does it mean to you? Are you willing to endure persecution? Are you willing to endure hardship so that people might come to faith? Are you willing to endure these same things in order to be with your church? Right? What if it's uncomfortable? What if it's your preferences aren't considered? What like what, what does it take for you to shy away from these things? Our love for the gospel must grow, and our love for the lost must grow. And we also have to grow in our love for the church. Paul loved the church so much that he went back through the towns that tried to kill him so that he could strengthen the church. He loved the church so much that he went back through the towns that tried to kill him so that he could make sure that the churches that he had planted were strong and healthy. They need good leadership or they're going to go all we want. And so he made sure that they had elders in place, that they were appointed by the Lord and that they were 
ready to go to lead these churches. So how does your love for the church compare? Are you willing to sacrifice anything for it? Time, talent, treasure, what we talk about a lot. Are you willing to sacrifice for it? Do you love the people here? Like more than just, like I love seeing you on Sunday, but going beyond that. Right, being in relationship with each other, knowing what one another's burdens are, and being willing to shoulder those burdens for one another. Right, does that love, what we, we say we love each other, but does that go beyond just this hour on Sunday morning that we spend time together? Right, are you willing to love one another possibly to the point of pain? Right, we're giving hurts just a little bit. We're, the time that we pour out hurts just a little bit because it's a sacrifice. Right? Paul loved the church enough to sacrifice for the church. Paul loved the church enough to possibly die for the church. How much do you love the church? I mean, what would it take for you not to be here? What would it take for you to not be in relationship with one another? I mean, that's, that's just a question to walk away with. Right, what would it take for me to never come back through those doors again? What would, that, what would have to change? What little thing could we change here that you'd go, I'm not going back to that church anymore. I don't like it there anymore. They don't meet my preferences anymore. I'm not being fed there. Right, what would need to change? But what we know from seeing Paul and Barnabas go through this missionary journey is that our love for the gospel must grow. Our love for the lost must grow and our love for the church must grow let's pray together father we are grateful that you have empowered us to overcome our sin by the grace of christ by his resurrection we are no longer slaves to sin or death and as we understand what the future holds for us I pray that we would be people who hold everything in this life open-handed as we go on this mission that you have given to us in the Great Commission. Lord, help us to see that the effort that we make to pour out into the lost so that they can hear the gospel is worth it. It's always worth it. And the effort that we pour out into the church so that we can show the people here that we love one another, that we're willing to sacrifice for one another. If it comes down to it, Lord, that we're willing to die for one another. But Lord, this, this empowerment only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our ears to the word of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us from your word, Lord, that we would be willing to listen to that and that we would be willing to respond to it and that it would drive us forward so that your name would be made much of and that the kingdom of God would, and kingdom of heaven would grow. Lord, and if this means that we need to experience real, true persecution so that as James says, that our faith might be made stronger so that we would produce endurance and that in that endurance we would be made mature in Christ. 
Lord, bring on the persecution. Give us what we need to serve you well, whatever that looks like. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.